verses 8 and 9. Just a couple of verses this morning. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. We'll read through the text, then we'll pray and get started. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. But to the Son... Your throne, God, is forever and ever, and the scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. This is why God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy rather than your companions. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for your good word. And I pray, dear Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be among us in this place today. I pray that you just take control of the words that come from my mouth, dear Lord, that you would help me to preach and teach what you want us to hear, God. I pray, God, that as we have just read your word, that we see your word, dear Lord. This is what we come for. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to listen to you today. God, we may have come into this place with worries and pains and struggles and just all kind of stuff, dear Lord, competing with our with our thoughts far far thoughts and far attention today but god whatever we may have come into this place with i pray dear lord that we would that we would not let that distract us from you today i pray that jesus would be lifted up and god that we would all put our focus on who jesus is today and i ask these things in jesus name amen amen it has been well established for us so far in the book of hebrews who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. And we talked a few weeks ago in verses 5 and 6 about Jesus' superiority to the angels, that Jesus was better than the angels. And, and the author of Hebrews told us, hey, look, here are some things in the Old Testament that are, that are told to us about the Messiah, and these things aren't said about angels. And then last week we talked about who are angels. Well, angels are servants of God. The author of Hebrews clearly is making that distinction for us, that Jesus is the Son and the angels are servants. And Jesus is spoken of in a better way than that of angels. We talked about the reason for that. There were some passages in the New Testament in which people were claiming to have received special visions from angels or Perhaps angels were preaching another gospel. And Paul says, even if another gospel is preached by an angel or even me, Paul said, do not believe it. And so the case has been established that Jesus is better than angels. And so we skipped these verses last week. We went to verses 13 and 14 while we were talking about angels just to kind of keep all those things together. But, but the focus really here in chapter 1 is about the Son. And so if the angels are spoken of as servants, then how is Jesus, the Son of God, spoken of? And here we see in the verses we just read, this is almost an exact quotation from Psalm chapter 45. Now you can read that this week if you would like to. Uh, read the whole psalm just to get an idea of what's going on. But what's going on in that psalm is it's a psalm about a a groom who is about to uh, meet up with his bride, or the anointed king who is about to, to meet up with his bride, who is about to take on a bride. That is what we see in Psalm chapter 45. Now, this language clearly applies to the Messiah. Now, the Jewish people would have taken that Psalm 45 as something that 
pointed to the Messiah. That's how it was taught among them. And that language is clear to us too because we see that in the New Testament that Jesus is spoken of as the head of the church. He is spoken of as the groom. And those who are in Christ, that's you and I, brothers and sisters in Christ, we are the bride of Christ. So Jesus is our husband and we are his bride. And so we see that type of language that Jesus should be the head of our life, the head of our church. He is the head of all things because he is the son of God. And so that language that we see in Psalm 45 and on in the New Testament is clear that it is pointing us to Jesus and talking about who Jesus is. And so here he quotes, and to the son, Jesus is the son of God. But what else can we get of Jesus here? Well, let's see. But to the son, your throne God is forever and ever and the scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. Now, there are two words there that we see that we're going to focus on here for a moment. One is that Jesus is seated on the throne, and two is that he holds a scepter. Now, when we see the words throne and scepter, there is one person who holds uh, an, an office that sits on a throne and holds a scepter, and that is is the king. Now, even though the word king is not used for us here, it is clear for us through the rest of Scripture. And it's clear to us here in Hebrews that Jesus, who is the Son of God, is also the king. He is the one who is seated on the throne. He is the one who holds the scepter. Now, a scepter is like a, it's like a rod. Uh, it would have been like a gold rod, maybe had some, some fine jewels or something on it. You've probably seen uh, uh, pictures of people seated on thrones holding scepters. And the one who is seated on the throne is the one who has the power. Now, there's a popular TV show uh, over the last few years. I've never watched an episode of it called Game of Thrones, but I understand the premise of the TV show, and that is there is a throne, and everybody is fighting over the throne because the one who is seated on the throne is the one who has the power. And so the author of Hebrews is telling his audience and us today, not only is Jesus Christ the Son of God, but he is seated on the throne, and he holds the scepter. Now, what is the significance of holding the scepter, of being the one who wields the scepter? Well, we see a good example of that in the book of Esther, one of my favorite books. We just preached through that a couple of years ago. And off the subject, I'll just tell you this because this is, this is something you need to think about. If you ever go to Branson, Missouri, there is this theater there called the Sights and Sounds Theater that is phenomenal. And every year they put on one Bible show and it will be the most phenomenal show you will ever see. And this year, coincidentally, it happens to be Esther. So that's a little plug for Esther and the Sights and Sounds Theater. That's off track. But anyway, the book of Esther is one of my favorite books. And in the story of Esther, God's people are about to be destroyed. There's a, there's a bad dude by the name of Haman. He wants to kill all the Jewish people. Esther is a Jewish girl. She has been chosen to be the queen. And, and, and nobody knows she's a Jewish girl. She's just kind of under the radar. And all of a sudden, the Jews are about to be killed. And Mordecai tells Esther, a family member of Esther, he says, look, you got to speak up. Now, Esther was not 
she didn't really want to speak up because she knew that her very life could be in danger because she was a Jew, and Mordecai said, you've got to speak up. And so finally she agreed to speak up, but she was going to have to go stand before the king. Now, even though she was the queen, it's not like she could just bebop in there. She would go before the king when the king would call her. But she had to go stand before the king. And it's interesting that in the book of Esther, it, it, it takes a little bit of time and really focuses on the scepter of the king. And it tells us an important bit of information, perhaps that is helpful for this passage today. And that is Esther said, I cannot go before the king because he has not summoned me. And she said, if I go before the king and he does not extend his scepter before me, then I will be killed. And so it was the scepter of the one seated on the throne that was going to determine whether those who come before him would be allowed to stand in his presence or would be destroyed. And so with that idea that we see in the book of Esther, we can apply that, I believe, to this passage. Because here is King Jesus, and he is seated on the throne, and he wields the scepter. It's a scepter that brings both judgment, but it is also a scepter that brings deliverance. It's also a scepter that says, you can come into my presence. And I've got good news for you today, that Jesus, as he is seated on the throne, has extended his scepter of grace to you. That Jesus says, I want you to come into my presence. I want you to stand before me. You are welcome to come and be in my presence. Praise the Lord that the king who is seated on the throne today has extended the scepter of grace for us so that we don't have to be ashamed to go before the king of kings and the Lord of lords, but we can know that Jesus died on the cross and when he did so and was resurrected, the scepter of grace was extended for us. We don't have to fear to be in the presence of the Lord. So I tell you today, if you were here today and you've Never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you've never come humbly before Jesus Christ, if you've never come and asked Him to forgive you of your sins, I want to tell you today, Jesus has extended grace to you. But not only is that scepter a scepter of grace, but that scepter is also a rod of wrath, a rod of judgment. And the same one that extends grace to us today will one day be the one who brings judgment. One day he will bring judgment. Would it not be better for us today to come before him while he is welcoming us into his presence? So here is it established for us, even though the word king is never mentioned in this passage, it is clear to us from the language that is used that Jesus is superior. Uh, superior. He's superior to the angels. He's superior to the other kings. He's superior to the law. He is seated on the throne, and he rules with a scepter. It can be either a scepter of grace or a scepter of judgment, but that's the decision that each one of us will have to make. It is a throne that the Scripture says he sits on forever and ever. And what does it say here? It says he rules over his kingdom. He rules over his kingdom. Now, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this today. We could. But a few years back, we were going through the book of Mark. We, we talked in great detail about the kingdom of God. There's a sermon entitled, Don't Miss the Bus. If you want to go back, and there's a lot of scriptures we talked about. But the kingdom of God is significant, and we do not want to 
skip talking about that today. Sometimes when we think about the kingdom of God, sometimes perhaps our minds simply go to heaven. That we think about the kingdom of God as being heaven. Now, maybe we think that because in the, in the, the gospel account of Matthew, we see the word kingdom of heaven used quite frequently. But Matthew is the only one who uses the term kingdom of heaven And it's the same as the term kingdom of God. It's clear for us to see that because in the parallel passages where the same passages in multiple gospel accounts, in the other accounts where it says kingdom of God, Matthew simply says kingdom of heaven there. And sometimes perhaps when we think about the kingdom of God, we're thinking about something that we are looking forward to in the future. But the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, Repent because the kingdom of God has come near. And throughout the New Testament, we see that people are entering into the kingdom of God. The New Testament tells us that the kingdom of God is not something that is visible, yet it is among us. And so we are living in the kingdom of God when we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus today is the king. Jesus today is seated on the throne. Jesus today is the king. And everywhere the king is, there is the kingdom. And so those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ today means that we are part of the kingdom of God. It is a kingdom that has come and it is a kingdom that is yet to come. It is a kingdom that has come at least what we can see and live in part, but it is a kingdom that one day we will live and be able to see in full when we are in the presence of our King Jesus. But we are part of the kingdom today. Now, it's important that we recognize the kingdom of God is not just something to come. No, we haven't seen the fullness of the kingdom of God, but we are still part of that kingdom today. And too many times we fall into the trap, perhaps, as Christians, as, 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 as we view Christianity as, okay, I've accepted Jesus, and now I'm waiting to go to heaven. But there's an in-between in the time that we put our faith in Jesus and the time that we go to be in heaven with the Lord. And in that time, we are living in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? Well, that means that if we are part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, that we are to live in obedience to our King. So to be part of the kingdom of God means that, hey, look, we're living for a new king. We're not living for the ruler of this world, the kingdoms of this world, the things of this world that are passing away. We are living for Jesus Christ, and that requires a lot of us because to live for Jesus Christ is difficult because Jesus calls us to do things that are hard for us to do. He calls us to forgive people who who do bad things to us, who are enemies to us. He tells us to pray for those people. He tells us to make the right decisions even, even when perhaps the wrong decision feels better to us. It's more fun to us. And so to live under the commands of Jesus Christ is difficult. But yet he is our king. And to be part of a kingdom means that we say, I will be obedient to the king. And so if we're not willing to forsake everything and follow Jesus Christ, then we are not ready to be part of the kingdom of God. 
Maybe there are some who, who think they are part of the kingdom of God, but yet they don't want to live for Jesus Christ in any way. Well, we need to test ourselves to make sure that we are living in the kingdom and obedient to the king of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is an important thing that we see mentioned again and again and again and again through the scriptures. And so here is King Jesus seated on the throne and he is ruling his kingdom. And that's you and I, brothers and sisters in Christ, who have put our faith and trust in Him. We are part of the kingdom of God in this world. It's a kingdom unlike any of the other kingdoms in this, in this world. That, that is to say, there's not, a, there's not a big capital building somewhere in which we can go and see Jesus seated on the throne. Yet Jesus' kingdom is greater than any of those types of kingdoms. We see kingdoms in this world. We see kings and leaders all over this world. But Jesus' kingdom is better than those kingdoms. It's kind of hard for us maybe to wrap our head around the idea of a kingship, especially being American, because we've never really served under a king. But when you serve under a king, the king is the ultimate authority. He is the sovereign. He is the one in which all people must be obedient to his commands. And so when we see that of Jesus Christ, that is our command today. Verse 9. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Now, certainly Jesus has done something that you and I are not able to do. You have loved righteousness and you have hated lawlessness. Could we say that of ourselves today? Could we say that we love righteousness and we hate lawlessness? Could we say that we love good and we hate evil? Well, I suspect we would all like to think that we could, and, and maybe at first glance we would say, oh yeah, I, I, I love goodness and I hate evil. But really, do our actions show that? Are there things that, 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 that are before us on a daily and a weekly and a monthly basis that are good, that we should love, but some of those things we don't really love because sometimes good things are tough? Are there things that are evil? Are there lawless things that we should hate, but... More times than not, we embrace those things and we love them more than we should. And that's our problem. That's our problem. That's everybody's problem in here. It would be fantastic if we were all righteous and we all loved righteousness all the time and we all hated evil all the time. But the fact of the matter is, is that sometimes we hate what is good and we love what is evil. And so we're in a bad shape. But praise the Lord, the one who is seated on the throne is better than us. He is a lover of righteousness and a hater of lawlessness. So in the scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, a lot of twos there, we are called to pursue righteousness. Well, what is righteousness? Is that something we can obtain? Now, if you look up righteousness in the dictionary, it's going to tell you something about doing what is right and what is morally good. Well, that's, that's a good definition, but we can't do that. We cannot always do what is right and good all of the time. And that is why we need Jesus Christ, because it is Christ alone who is righteous. Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, became sin on our behalf. He took our sin so that we could take on his righteousness, the scripture says, because Christ alone is righteous. Isaiah 64 says that all of our righteous acts before the Lord are like filthy rags. They're not good enough. 
There's nothing we can do that's good enough. We cannot be righteous. And so when the Scripture calls us to be righteous, what the Scripture is calling us to is to pursue Jesus Christ because He alone is righteous. We are sinners, but it is through Jesus' death and resurrection in which He took our sin that we can take on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So when we try to pursue righteousness in our life, we need to know that we need to be pursuing Jesus. We are not made righteous by righteous living. Sometimes we try that. Sometimes we say, okay, well, here are the things that are good and right, and if I do enough of these things, then I will be made righteous. But we are not made righteous by righteous living. We are made righteous through Jesus Christ. We are made righteous when we are in His righteousness. And when we pursue the righteousness of Jesus Christ, righteous living will pursue to some degree in our life. We will never be perfect. There will always be times in which there will be evil things and lawlessness that we will gravitate toward. But if you want to be righteous today, you're not going to reach righteousness by your works. You will be made righteous through the works of Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. So our king who is seated on the throne is one who could do something that we are never capable of doing. And that is to always be righteous and to always hate evil. And that is why we need to seek this king who is on the throne because he is our righteousness. He is our deliverer. This is why God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy rather than your companions. Jesus is unique in that way. There is no other one that God could anoint. Now, certainly God used many prophets, and there were some people that were godly men and women throughout Scripture, but even those that we may would call godly throughout Scripture had some major sin problems in their life. But here of Jesus, what does it say? It says, look, you are the chosen one. You are chosen over all the others. There is no one else that God could have anointed. And what does he say here? That Jesus has been anointed with the oil of joy or the oil of gladness. To be anointed by God is God's chosen one. To be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And what a beautiful language that is we see here. Perhaps we are reminded of Psalm 23 when David says you preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. What beautiful language that is for us. What beautiful language that is for us to think about. As Here is Jesus hanging on the cross before his enemies, and yet by the power of God, by the obedience of Jesus Christ, the enemies did not get the final say. Instead, Jesus was the anointed one, just as David uses those words. Even though David had many enemies that came before him, even in the presence of his enemies, God provided for him. God took care of him. And even over and above his provisions, he anointed his head with oil. He was chosen by God. He was blessed by God. His cup ran over. That is the blessing of God that you and I need to seek today that comes only through Jesus Christ. And so here in these couple of verses in the book of Hebrews, the author makes a, a clear point for us today that we do not ever want to miss or forget. And that is that Jesus is the king. 
That is that Jesus has the power to bring forgiveness for you or to bring judgment on you. That is that Jesus has established a kingdom that will never end. Praise the Lord. That is good news. We talked about in Sunday school, you look back through the history of the world, there has been kingdom after kingdom after kingdom, and they have risen to power, and guess what? Every one of them have fallen. And guess what? If this world's around long enough, these United States of America, this kingdom that we are in, one day it will fall, and there will be another kingdom, and it will fall, and another, and another. But I've got good news for you today, that Jesus Christ is the king of a kingdom that will never fall. It will never end. It will be forever and forever and forever and forever. And so I ask you today, have you humbled yourself before the king? Have you humbled yourself before the Son of God? Have you entered into the kingdom of God today? Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of God has come near. When we hear the word of God, when we hear the message of Jesus Christ, every time we hear it, every time we read the word of God, the kingdom of God has come near. And maybe for some of you in this room, you've sat on a church pew, you've listened to a radio sermon, whatever it may be, and many times in your life, the kingdom of God has come near to you, but you have never entered into the kingdom of God. I want to tell you today that the one seated on the throne has extended that scepter of grace before you that you can enter into his presence today if you will humble yourself and come before the king of kings and the lord of lords but what does jesus say is required of us if we want to enter into the kingdom of god he says repent for the kingdom of god has come near to repent means that we turn from whatever it is that we are doing in regards to our sin we say Jesus, I want to be part of your kingdom. I want to make you the king of my life. Therefore, Jesus, I'm going to follow your commands and I'm going to follow your ways. And for, that, for us, that means that we are saying no to the world, that we are turning away from the world, and that we are turning to the king of a better kingdom. And that requires repentance on our part. To say, Jesus, I know your ways and your teachings are better than those of the world. Jesus, I know your kingdom is forever. I know this world is passing away. King Jesus, I come before you and I repent of my sins and I put my faith in you and I'm ready to be part of your kingdom. Some of us today are part of the kingdom of God. Hopefully we're all living like it, but there are times that we don't. Perhaps there's some soul searching that we need to do to make sure that Jesus is the king of our life and we're living like it. For some of you today, you have never entered into the kingdom of God. But I hope today that if Jesus Christ has spoken to you, if the Holy Spirit has spoken to you through the word of God, I hope today that you would humble yourself before the king, that you would repent of your sins, that you would be a brother and sister in Christ and be part of the best kingdom that there will ever be. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for your good words. We thank you for giving us a better king, dear Lord. Our world has been full of kings time and time again, and some of them have been pretty good, and a lot of them have been really bad. But dear Lord, we thank you for sending us a better king. We thank you for anointing Jesus Christ as your son and as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We thank you for his obedience to your will, dear Lord, and let us learn from that, that we would be found so faithful to be obedient to your will. God, I pray that if there are 
are some in this room that do not know Jesus Christ, that they would know today that Jesus is seated on the throne. God, that the invitation is ever before us through your word and the work of Jesus, that you call us to repent, that you call us to your grace. And we thank you that Jesus offers that to us today. But God, we also need to remember that God, the same Savior that gives us grace is also the same one that will bring judgment when that day comes. God, let us not be those who have to experience your wrath, but let us be those who find your grace this morning. God, I pray that you would help us to not be those that, that hate what is good and love what is evil. But God, let us seek to be righteous, not by the things that we do, but let us ever seek the righteousness of Jesus Christ that we see who he is, how he lived, and that we seek to be like him, that we pursue righteousness in Jesus Christ, dear Lord, that we know that the one who, who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could experience righteousness in him. So God, let us seek that righteousness today and hate the lawlessness and the evil that is ever before us. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.